What's interesting is trying to get the leaders to understand that perhaps the current leadership model doesn't work anymore. So now leaders are trying to figure out what is the leadership style then that works in a hybrid model and command and control will not work because we all have a voluntary paid workforce. Anyone can go anywhere, right? And so they have to be the great connectors now, not the great commanders, but the great connectors. Hi, you're listening to the Optimize Your Team podcast. In this episode, we hear from Dan Brookhuysen. Dan is the Global VP of Leadership Development, Succession Planning, and Culture for the 140,000 employees at NTT Data. Dan's had a fascinating career from undercover narcotics investigator to holding various executive roles in the talent development space for tech companies. Dan shares the leadership lessons he learned as an undercover officer and a couple of the key things that he's helping leaders do to navigate this environment we all find ourselves in today. I hope you'll take away as much as I did from this short but insightful conversation with Dan. Hey, Dan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, uh, Rohan. It's good to be here. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start these conversations out with kind of a more general question. How would you describe your leadership style? Oh, that's hard. Um, I don't like to put names on things because once you name them, you categorize them, right? And it doesn't leave uh, any room for adaptation. So I'll try not to put names on this. Um, my leadership style, I, I, I'm open-minded and I look for all possible solutions, right? So I don't put a lot of stock in just formal education and what I call the myth of experience, right? Um, my leadership style more is to seek to understand and look at all the options in front of me. Um I tend to make sure that those that I get to work with clearly know what the mission is, you know, if they have the necessary tools to do what they need to do. Um, a lot of my leadership style is based on something called Lewin's Law, which states that behavior is a function of the organism in the environment. Hmm. And I think that we're responsible for creating environments within which people can be successful. And so I base a lot of my philosophy and leadership on am I creating an environment within which you can be successful? So, um, and, and I want to make sure that people I work with, at least they don't hate the work they're doing. Um, there's no guarantee that you'll always do the work that you love to do. I think, I think it's a mix of liking what you do and it's a mix of, well, I'm going to plow through this so I can get to the stuff that I really like to do. Um, I expect feedback from, uh, from the people I work with. In fact, if I'm not hearing things that I immediately dislike, um, I think something's wrong because they know me well enough. They know what I like. And I constantly challenge them to um, tell me things that they know I won't like um, so that it broadens my perspective and we can have dialogue about it. Um, Rohan, probably the last thing is um, I'm compassionate and I care. Um, I want those that I work with to know three things. A, that I'll always be there with them with help and feedback. B, I have extremely high expectations. Mm -hmm. But C... I know that if you have an open mind and are willing to learn from mistakes and you're able to trust others that they can achieve those high expectations and do what's necessary for them to advance. So um, I think we always have to combat our fixed mindsets and work to have a, a growth mindset. So that's that's my style. I love that. I, I, I love that. I love the last one. Um, compassion and care and then tying that to high expectations. And I think sometimes it's this sort of, you know, false belief that. Yeah. You have to, if you're nice, then you can't hold people to high standards and high expectations. And those two really go together. So I love the way you, you but I also want to come back to something you said earlier, the myth of experience. Tell me about that. Um, 
I guess I learned some of this in police work, uh, undercover work, and some of this I learned elsewhere. But the longer you're in an environment, the more you adapt to that environment and the more you see what you know rather than know what you see, right? And so the longer I'm in something, the more I get familiar with it. It's called the familiarity bias. And what's scary about that is I start to think that I know my environment and actually I'm missing the sub cues and, and little indications that things should change. And so my belief is that experience builds blinders and you have to be just very aware that the longer you're in a situation, the, the bigger your blinders get and you have to be willing to peel those blinders back. And so I, I, I think experience can be good, but I think it can be very, very dangerous as well. Yeah, such a great reminder. I'm so glad you and we certainly have, have been aware of the the challenges of that coming into the environment we've been through. But that's just a good life lesson um, and a good segue to you, some of your background, which is my next question. Uh, so you mentioned police academy and, and undercover work. Uh, give us just give our listeners a little bit of a hand wave over your career and then we'll dive into kind of two specific areas based on our earlier conversation. Uh, but I know you've had a pretty interesting journey to this point. I'd love for everyone to get a little flavor of that. Yeah, it, uh, uh, David Epstein wrote a book called Range, and it's a great synopsis of what I've done. I've had a lot of range. Um, I started out of college. I had a degree in psychology and economics, and I actually ended up working in a psychiatric hospital with post-suicidal attempt adolescent boys, wow. which opened my eyes and, and uh, was was the worst of the worst and the best of the best when you see people heal, right? And I met my lifelong partner, Lisa, there. We've been married 36 years, and um, she's the better nine-tenths. Um, <laughs> from there, um, I went into undercover uh, work. I, I, I noticed that a lot of the kids came into the, the unit um, having been ganked on all kinds of substances, and I wanted to figure out why that happened and how that happened. So I became an undercover narcotics investigator and, and did that for a while. And while doing that, also became the uh, leader for an assault SWAT team and um, did all that kind of stuff. But after a while, realized that I was I wasn't doing I was doing reactive things and not proactive things. So I wanted to get out of that. So um, left that work and uh, obtained a master's in industrial and organizational psychology because I love the study of behavior and how people move and and had a a uh, a special work I did in behavioral economics and neurophysiological psychology and the study of brain and behavior and why we make the decisions. And so from there, uh, went into what I call HR work, but not really HR work, but it always falls underneath the HR realm, right? So I, I led the uh, HR functions for a very large um, multi-billion dollar um, operating platform, um, ended up in um, some uh, education fields where I worked for a charter school. And then in the last 10 years, I've uh, 10 to 12 years, I've really spent a lot of time in the technology field, working with startups and, and uh, founders and helping them build um, good businesses. And now I find myself in a 140,000 person technology company. So it's kind of crazy. Wow. Funny path, right? It, it is. And the range is a good description of, of yeah. that, of, of this, that, that broad spectrum. And that's where every time I spend with you is, is always so fascinating. And, and I have hundreds of questions, but I'll try and sort of narrow them down for the, for the sake of, of this conversation. And then hopefully that's an excuse for us to have you on again and, and dive into other aspects. And so the first piece that I think is pretty unique, uh, like all oh, there's a lot of, lot of things about your career that's unique, uh, but certainly for a lot of our listeners, the undercover work that you did um, 
and I know you were on the cover for a while. And I thought maybe I'd just ask you a pretty broad question and let you take it wherever you want to, wherever you want to take it. But I'm curious about some of the either life lessons or particularly leadership lessons. Most of the, most of our audience are team leaders, executives that are leading organizations, leading teams. Uh, what are some things that you learn? I mean, I, I can imagine that environment is very chaotic, very unpredictable. Um, you have to be extremely adaptable. Um, but what, what, what are some, some things that maybe you learned from your time that you spent there that we can learn from? Yeah. Um, probably my answer, my best answer paraphrases, um, a graduation speech that I, uh, read once Alan Alda gave a graduation speech, uh, for his daughter's class at Connecticut college or something like that. And it just struck me when I was in the middle of police work, it came out and a buddy of mine sent it to me. Um, what he said to his daughter was that it's a complex world and you got to learn how to make distinctions, right? The, the first rule of logic is that a thing cannot be and not be at the same time in the same respect. Okay. The first rule of logic. And so what I learned was that you have to be able to make distinctions, right? Um, he said stuff like a peach is not its fuzz, a toad is not its warts and a person's crankiness is not who they really are. And if we can learn to make decisions, then we can be tolerant and we can get to the heart of the problem instead of rend, you know, wrestling for a long time with the ugly exteriors. Right. And when you make a habit of making decisions, you begin to challenge your own assumptions. And the crazy thing is your assumptions are your windows on the world, right? And so you got to scrub them every once in a while. You got to kind of clean your assumptions. And if you don't do that, light won't come in, right? Dirty windows won't allow light come in. And so um, if, if you challenge your own, you won't be so quick to accept the unchallenged assumptions of others. And I guess the lesson I learned in our recover work was that, well, I learned a lot with the flip and profile as well, Rohan, which is you can separate people from their behaviors, right? You don't attack the person. You take a look at the behaviors, right? Mm. And you can behave yourself. There's a phrase that says it's easier to behave yourself into a new way of thinking than to think yourself into a new way of behaving, right? And probably one of the reasons I so have used the the profile was just that it's it's behaviorally based, right? And it teaches people. And so a big lesson I learned in the undercover work was uh, a peach is not its fuzz. Like I may be dealing with someone who's made a terrible mistake, but that does not mean that they're a terrible person. And I may be dealing with a person who's made a bad decision, but that does not make their doesn't does not necessarily mean they're bad decision makers. Perhaps it means they don't know how to make good decisions. And so keeping that open mind has has allowed me to try as much as I can see the good in others and not be so quick to judge. That's that's fascinating. Um and I, I guess encouraging in a way that working undercover helped you see the good in people. I would imagine that it, you, you, you also get very jaded um, or you have to guard against being jaded and putting people into boxes and quickly categorizing people. And, and I, it's actually beautiful. Instead of that, it's be careful not to conflate behavior with who someone actually is. Uh, really fascinating. You, you wake up in the morning realizing that stereotypes are time savers and you have a great capacity to stereotype people. But the very fact that you're aware of that makes you stronger not to do it. But it will never mm -hmm. go away. Right. It's, it's, it's someone who's it's like someone who fights addiction and they're, they're not an ex drunk. They're sober. Right. And your sobriety reminds you every day that you have to continue to be open minded about things like that. So what are some maybe practices that you have uh, or disciplines that you've developed that help you? challenge 
you know, those assumptions. And because it, it's easy to to operate with those, it's easy to, you know, use those stereotypes. Our brain is sort of almost hardwired uh, right. to to be lazy and, you know, to just kind of take the shortcut, right? Uh, so it seems like it, it, it seems like you've developed uh, almost a, a habit or skill, maybe a, a practice of being able to challenge that. What are some things that, that I, I could do or anyone that's listening yeah. uh, can do to avoid that trap of like taking the shortcut? Well, first of all, never attempt to be perfect because perfect is time-based, right? In 1974, the Grand Torino was a perfect car, but no one would buy it now except if you're a collector, right? And so I, what I've always said is don't promise perfection, promise imperfection handled perfectly, right? And so mm-hmm. under that umbrella, a couple of things. Um, you said hardwired, and that's really interesting because some of us are hardwired, and, and there are things that happen, little pet peeves of mine, that I can't keep the switch from going off. It's just going to go off. But it doesn't mean that I can't hardwire in behind that switch a pause button that actually Mm. says, now, hang on. And so it's funny, Rohan, but in front of my desk, I actually have a a big marker and I took and I and I drew a pause button. And so from a behavioral standpoint, I have a pause button that actually sits at my desk. and, And when something hits me wrong, the first thing I do is look at that pause button and say, well, your switch just went off, but I just hardwired another switch behind it. Right. And, and reinforce that. And so I think that's one of the things I do is I, I, I know that I know where my hot buttons are, but I have physical reminders around me. I have a pause mm. button and it's funny. I have another card in front of my desk. I only have two cards in front of my desk and the other one says API, which is not application processing interface from the tech world, but it means <laughs> assume positive intent. So if someone mm. says something to me, so I'm a big fan because I have ADHD and I move fast, I'm a big fan of some physical things in front of me that will remind me um, to, 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 to pause and to assume positive intent. And then the last thing I've learned how to do, and it's been a hard lesson, Rohan, is I talk to Dan in the third person, and that sounds really crazy. But if I get angry and I say, why, why am I so angry? The fact that I use I means I'm still emotionally attached to it. But if I can talk about myself in the third party, and if I can say, why did that make Dan part, uh, you know, so angry, it almost lets me step back from who I am and take a look at myself in the third person and figure things like that out. Interesting. That's super helpful. And, you know, one of the things I used to do uh, early on, and one of the things we use internally in the company, a little framework on, you know, the Excel model, right? Engage first. And so I had a post-it note taped to my phone that said engage because it's so easy to jump on the phone and just jump into the agenda or what you want to talk about and not to engage. And so I love that physical cue, have a literally a physical cue that's a, a reminder to pause. We have so many physical cues around us, right? Like we wear wedding bands and you have jewelry and earrings and you have tattoos and stuff. And I don't know why we don't use those when it comes to our our work environment and leadership. It's okay to have physical cues around you. And when people ask, my goodness, then that's just another opportunity to share with them what you're struggling with and what you're working on. And, and they jump on board and they help you with it. So it's it's just a it's a fun thing to do. Yeah, love that. Love yeah. that. Now you don't talk to yourself out loud in the third person, but I do. I think that's a very helpful, um, a, a really helpful tool there to take the emotion and the personalization out of it. Um, and and like, again, what you said earlier, separate the behavior out from who you are. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Thank you. Yeah. Really, really practical things. Um, okay, let's jump forward then from those undercover years. Um, and by the way, thank you for your service to all those communities and people. It's such a an, an amazing thing that 
people like you that are willing to put yourself in harm's way uh, to help protect and and especially those that are so vulnerable, like those young people. Uh, just appreciate you for that. Yeah, you, you got to protect the vulnerable and you got to protect the underserved and underrepresented. Yeah. So. No, true. Very, very well said. So let's let's fast forward now. You're the global VP of a large company, very large, you know, 140,000. Is that what you said uh, that you guys are at now? Yep. And I'm responsible for leadership development, culture, and succession planning and a lot of the people initiatives there. So. Yeah, so a lot of uh, so pretty broad sort of talent initiatives. Given the current environment, uh, we're talking. You know, everyone's talking about the Great Resignation, the uh, just the uncertainty in the economy, the tight labor market. Um, wh- what are you doing to help your leaders navigate this current environment that we can maybe learn and benefit from? Yeah, um, trying to get the leaders to understand that perhaps the current leadership model doesn't work anymore. Um, and I'll go back, um, back in the eighties, early eighties, dating myself here. Um, companies like Google and Apple and Facebook, they were all taking off and everyone, everyone admired them because they had these really cool office environments and they served you lunch and you could do your laundry there. And they had a slide in the middle and there was all this cool stuff that was happening. And when I take a look at that, it was cool but they were still operating under this command and control environment, which means, you know, there's a lot of people in a small location, you know, within an acre or two acres. And, and the way that you really have to be able to lead those people is by commanding what they do and controlling, because that's just the military style. And it's kind of what was ingrained through Taylorism and through a lot of other things and factories. And we never really separated that. And, and, uh, and what's interesting is, um, Eliyahu Goldratt wrote a book called The Goal, and he talks about the theory of constraints, right? And and agile methodology really is a is a derivation of the theory of constraints. And agile methodology came in and really started to take a look at leadership, you know, capabilities. And and if you study agile, it's it's really about not so much command and control. And so Agile was kind of working in these tech companies, but it kind of wasn't because they still had the command and control and they just had this nice thick layer of frosting over everything, right? I mean, the under under structure was still command and control, but they had the cool offices and stuff. Well, what happened was the pandemic blew that apart, right? And the, the way that we're going to lead you is to command and control because that's the only way that we can get things done. And all of a sudden, everyone was working from home and productivity went up and productivity went up because we weren't spending as much time with people. And so rather than tech debt, there's a lot of human debt now. We haven't taken care of people, right? So now leaders are trying to figure out, we probably most won't go back into the office. There'll be this hybrid model. What is the leadership style then that works in a hybrid model? And command and control will not work because uh, we all work for, we all have a voluntary paid workforce. Anyone can go anywhere, right? And so, and I think it has to, I think it has to, I think it has to progress into something more like a coordinate and cultivate, right? Leadership is not so much about commanding what people do and controlling, but the first point, it's about coordinating, right? Because we're all dispersed. Um, great leaders are leaders that can put things together. You know, they're the connectors and they can coordinate things and they hear ideas and they knit things and they weave things and they make sure that this person talks with this person and this unit works with this unit, right? So that's the first thing is that they have to be the great connectors now, not the great commanders, but the great connectors. And the second part, cultivate, right? Um, 
I, I don't want to be commanded. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. I want someone to stand in front of me with their hands and kind of egg me on and say, hey, can you get me this? Like, I want to cultivate this out of you. And here's why. And so cultivation is about planting something. But when you cultivate someone, you not only plant it, but then you water it and you fertilize it and you maintain it and, and you pine over it, right? And so it's not about control, like determining where water flows. It's more about cultivating. And the funny thing about cultivation, Rohan, is that no one can really grow corn. Corn grows itself. All you can do is create an environment within which corn grows. And that goes back to Lewin's law, right? And so I think leadership now has to understand that it's more about cultivating the goodness and cultivating results and cultivating productivity and cultivating because the command and control is just not going to work anymore. Oh, love. I, I, I love that. And it kind of links back to your earlier point about creating this environment yeah. that people can thrive in. And that's what you can do in the corn in, in environment. So much out of your control, but you can try to influence the environment in which that seed can grow. It's so funny when someone isn't productive or they're not doing something right. The first thing we jump to is what's wrong with the person, right? And I think it's because we blame because we're afraid of being blamed. But if you can get through that blame cycle, why wouldn't we ask first about, well, what environment exists that won't allow this person to be successful? Because self-determination theory will tell you that most people want to improve every day. And so I don't wake up every morning and say, oh, I think I'm going to be worse today, right? I wake up every morning saying, how can I improve myself? How can I get make more money? How can I be a better person? How can my t-shirts be whiter, right? You know, like, like how can I be thinner and stuff like that, right? I mean, no one, no one wakes up to be worse at what they're doing. But yet, when we have problems in organizations, the first thing we do is say, well, what's wrong with that person? Instead of saying, what type of environment did I create that permitted that person to have subpar performance? Yeah, no, great point. Great point. Well, let's, let's dive in a little bit into, in, uh, I, you know, just like us, a team analytics behaviors are important, what people, things people can actually do. So let's identify maybe a couple of behaviors that can help uh, someone maybe go from more of that command, maybe mindset um, or style of leadership, model of leadership to coordinate. You, one of the things you said was being a great connector. So dedicating time to really connect people. I mean, people aren't bumping into each other anymore, um, maybe as often as they were in the old days. And so that's one. What are some other things that 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 leaders can do to be better coordinators rather than commanders? Um. A uh, probably the best CEO I ever worked for was one that I hired. Um, the the incumbent had to leave, and so the board asked me to hire my boss, and I did. It was fascinating because I remember um, going out to a manufacturing plant in Juarez, Mexico, and um, back then, and and we were making some parts, and and he was a great visionary, and he had great ideas on how to do things, and. Uh, <clears throat> I remember sitting on the plant floor and, and they were looking at some product and he had a good product background and he said, you know, I, I, I think if we did this and this and this to the product, it would probably sell better. And everyone agreed. But it was his next phrase that really caught me off guard because he said, but I have no clue how to do that. Like, I don't know how to do that. I have the vision, but I can't get us there and I need help. And it was amazing because he was very transparent and authentic and saying, I have a gifted area, like I know product and I know where we can go, but I can't do what you do. And I was just amazed that in that short, brief interaction of two minutes, he created an environment within which A, he was transparent and authentic and said, I can't do everything and, and basically said the most intelligent three words any leader can say, which is, I don't know. 
Hmm. And then in the next breath, <clears throat> he pulled everyone alongside of him and said, but I know someone here knows how to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to rely on your expertise and experience. And so I guess from a connecting standpoint, I think people are afraid of connecting with leaders because leaders don't take the opportunity to let them see that they're human. Mm. And leaders are afraid, again, the fixed mindset that if I don't know everything, people will not think I'm a great leader as opposed to a growth mindset, which says, I'm going to share what I don't know because then I can get into what I do know, right? And if, 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 if what you know and what you don't know were two separate 401ks, I'll bet all of us would invest in the what you don't know because it's greater than what you do know, right? And so I think one of the practical tips for any leader, it's tough, man, because some of the traits that got you into the leadership position are, are ones that you're going to have to fight against now, right? But one of those is just being unbelievably transparent with your teams and saying, I'm good at some stuff, but man, I'm not good at everything. And I have the vision for this. And I think I want us to become a more people-oriented company, but I have no clue how to do that. And so I'm going to start coordinating some people together to say, let's talk about this and let's, let's find the answer. Um, you know, a good, a good leader has all the answers and a great leader gets all the answers. And I think that's the difference there. Oh, really powerful. Yeah. Uh, and with that, and that, that level of transparency also kind of has the vulnerability that goes hand in hand. I think, you know, for so many of us, we think of transparency as like honesty or, you know, yes, I'll, I'll speak what's on my mind. But there's an element of like being willing to be vulnerable um, and put yourself and it takes like that level of humility, maybe um, to, to be willing to do that. Yeah. Vulnerability is interesting because vulnerable does not mean to be less than it means to be open. And I don't know why we equate vulnerability with less than as opposed to vulnerability being open. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if it, and I was thinking about this the other day um, when I was with a, with a group and we're doing a workshop on this and we were kind of talking about the term, you know, when you talk about something being vulnerable, like, like a, you know, the vulnerable point on a tank or the, you know, hit, hit this where it's vulnerable, right? We use it as a term to kind of identify almost like that weak spot or, but, but maybe if you think about it more, like you said, maybe it's more about like, Hey, that's just the opening, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I like that. That is, that's a real mindset shift. And I know something that, um, that I can struggle with, um, especially on the personal side, you know, be, even, even in my personal relationships my, with my wife, um, those are just things. It's easier to be vulnerable sometimes, you know, externally, but with those closest to you, it can be hard sometimes. You can imagine what would happen in an organization if they would start to redefine some words that were in properly defined in the beginning. I know that uh, Nexient, where I came from, you know, when, when you hear the word, I'm going to hold you accountable, we equate that to a judge looking to a defendant and saying, and now I'm going to hold you accountable for your actions. Mm. And it's negative, mm. right? But accountability really is, account. but when you take a look at parts of our lives, Rohan, we have accountability partners, right? And accountability partners are people that you willingly sit in front and say, look deep into me and ask me any question because you can draw out of me and, and I'm safe in front of you. And, and the same with vulnerable, vulnerable, right? Like if we could redefine, if we redefine accountability as not blame, but as passion to be better, why can't we define vulnerability as open instead of unprotected? There's such a difference between those two, right? So I'm going to be vulnerable, which doesn't mean I'm unprotected. It just means I'm going to be open with you. Well, I love that. Yeah, th that's great. Those are great, uh, uh, are, are just helpful 
practical things to think about doing difficult, but, oh, but gosh. you know, if, if they were easy, right. We want to have this podcast, right? <laughs> no, it's so, so true. So true. Well, thank you. All right. I, 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 like I said, I could, I could dig into those topics and others for a very long time with you. You've got so much wisdom and insight in these areas and you have a depth that you've gone through, uh, through your life journey, uh, but also in just the practice of, of leadership and development. Uh, and so these conversations with you are always so rich. Um, I like to bring some of these conversations to close with some rapid fire uh, questions. So let me just right. uh, chunk through them next um, as we wrap up. So favorite day of the week. Oh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Favorite day. <laughs> Why Sunday? Uh, just family, just um, day of rest, uh, day to um, just kick back and, 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 um, regroup, right? It's a regrouping day for me and my family. Sunday's a great day. So love that. Yeah. Texting or talking? Oh, talking. I got fat fingers. Like texting is just not good. My kids ask me, please don't text. So I don't. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Favorite productivity <laughs> hack for leaders? Oh, oh, um, really understand what delegation is and how to successfully employ it in to advance your career and grow with others, right? Because if, if delegation is done right, it's powerful. But man, if you do it wrong, it's problematic. So mm. deeply understand what good delegation is and then practice it, practice it, practice it. Love it. Favorite phone app? Spotify. I'm a, I'm a music junkie, so. I love that. Most impactful book you've read this year? Um, there are two. Um, one is called Flat Army by Dan Pontefract. Um, mm -hmm. Just a, a great read on how organizations can limit the hierarchy. Um, and, and then another one right on that line is The Power of Giving Away Power by Matthew Barzen. Um, again, just I'm all about democratizing and putting decision making and giving autonomy and, and accountability and authority closest to where the decision needs to be made. Those were really good reads. I, I burned through those. A lot of, a lot of notes I put in those books. So. Thank you for, thank you yeah. for sharing both of those. Um, yeah. and then I'll, I'll, I'll go to my last question, but I want to come back to the notes you put in the book, a best advice you've ever been given. Um, two of them. Um, my father used to cut out quotes and tape them to our kitchen cupboard when we were little kids. Um, and there was one, there's two of them there. One was by a philosopher, French philosopher Montaigne. And it was he who truly knows has no occasion to shout. And I just think there's real brilliance in that. Um, um, Susan Cain wrote a book called quiet, but it goes along the lines of, you know, when, when, uh, when ignorance screams, intelligence walks away. If you really know where you stand, you have no need to shout, no need to fight with anyone. If, if you know mm -hmm. down deep inside of yourself where you are, that's good enough. Yeah. Um, the other one is a quote by Nate Saint. Um, and it says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot possess to gain what he cannot lose. And I think that that goes towards our lives. Um, I think that goes towards friendship and kindness and empathy and compassion. You can't possess those. You only You only get those when you give those away. But when you give those away, you can't lose the significance you've had in other people's lives and you can't lose the joy and you can't lose the love. So just try not to hold on to things that you can't possess because if you give them away, you'll gain things. You'll, you'll gain so much more. 
Oh, love that. Thank you for sharing the, yeah. th- those words. My dad actually said that second quote is, is, is one that he would share very often with us and, and one of his favorite quotes as well uh, yeah. for me growing up. Yeah. Uh, gosh, so much that I reflect on our conversation and just grateful for your time and, and insight. Uh, you know, some of my big takeaways as I just look through my notes, the, the myth of experience that, that just jumped out of me being careful, um, yeah. of, of looking at the blinders, those physical cues, um, yeah. around us that can help separate the, or, or combat that hard wiring. Um, and then this really ways to be cultivating and, and coordinating, um, and being careful not to command and control. So I really appreciate, uh, you sharing those insights. What are some ways that, that our audience can keep up with you? Um, just, you know, getting, I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn, um, but do you have a, a blog or, or things like that, that, that people can, can kind of check out? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and I have a little button on it that says open to help, right? I love helping people and I like paying it forward. So, so much has been given to me that, that, uh, I owe. So, um, the other way is I have a, a, a blog, um, it's danbrookheisen.wordpress.com and it's called thinking well, and I'll just reminisce about you know, better thoughts make better decisions. Um, I guess trying to get people to hit the pause button before they make a decision. Um, If you want it to be said of you that you have great judgment, it comes from a track record of good decisions. And if you want to have a track record of good decisions, you have to be able to have multiple options. And if you want multiple options, you have to have an open mind. And if you want an open mind, you have to slow down. And so, (laughs) you know, if you can follow that thought process, that's kind of where I go with the blog and just trying to get people to take a step back and say, I don't have to be perfect, but I can promise imperfect um, fixes for that, right? Imperfection handled perfectly. So, Imperfection handled perfectly. I love it. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate you being with us today. Always enjoy my conversations with you. And I I leave with a lot to think about uh, and and, and a lot for me to do differently. So appreciate you spending time with us today. And thank you, Rohan. And and there is a very, very dear soft spot in my heart heart for folks at Flipping Group. got turned on to team analytics and, and the flipping profile years ago. And it was a true answer for me. And just the commitment, uh, the love, the compassion, the drive towards excellence. I just, uh, I have a very, very deep and soft spot in my heart for y'all. So, oh, The feeling's mutual. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. And thanks for being with us again. You bet. Thanks, Ron. If you enjoyed this episode of the Optimize Your Team podcast, Head over to our website, teamalytics.com, to find out how we can help leaders like you grow your team. Or if you have someone that you'd like to nominate as a guest, send me an email at podcast at teamalytics.com.